Good afternoon, and thank you so much for being with us on this Thursday. We are starting talking about taxes and specifically some property taxes in the city of Vancouver and a unanimous vote at council to go ahead with a pilot project that would see some tax relief for some businesses. And joining us to talk more about this is Mike Klassen, a Vancouver city councillor. Mike, thank you so much for being with us today. Good afternoon, Jill. Good afternoon to you as well. So I understand looking at these numbers, it would be around 1,300 businesses, uh, slightly more than that. What exactly will this program, the Development Potential Relief Program, do? So uh, just first of all, I'm going to apologize in advance. This is this is pretty nerdy stuff for people who follow property taxes. But it, I think it's important from from people uh, from the standpoint of uh, people who support small and independent businesses in our in their communities. And there are many of those. Um, so, yes, there are almost about 1400 properties that qualify for a pilot uh, that will be uh, set in place for the tax year of 2023. And it means that um, um, uh, that there will be a lowering of the, uh, the tax rate for these properties. And so the properties themselves will, um, are commercial. And so they will have um, ver- you know, very likely um, tenants that will either be uh, retail businesses or offices. There's just a whole range of the types of businesses. And the reason we've done this uh, and, and approved this policy uh, is that um, small businesses have been asking for years. A lot of the business improvement area associations have been coming to, to City Hall and, and talking about the fact that um, when a uh, property is assessed at a certain value, so people are familiar that their homes are, um, they always look up the BC assessment. Well, the assessed value um, is uh, in, in, in the city is uh, referred to as highest and best use. So if you've got a, a small shop and maybe a two-story building on a corner and it's been uh, has the capability of putting a uh, 12-story tower above it the property taxes are adjusted uh, to reflect the full value of that property for highest and best use so this has been um, uh, when when um, the, the property owners uh, hand down the rents um, they charge it to the to usually the business owner, and it's much higher, making it very much uh, more difficult for the uh, business owner to to uh, make those adjustments and pay those extra costs. So this is a way f- to reduce that overhead, that additional cost, um, and uh, and give you a bit more details on, on how that's going to roll out. Right, and but you mentioned BC assessment, and so how will it work, though, with the provincial aspect of this and the assessments that come from the province and then this being the Vancouver portion? Mm-hmm. So, uh, full credit to the provincial government who who've been working with the city and brought this this policy forward. I think Vancouver is perhaps the first to adopt it, and, and it took an enormous amount of work. We've got a, a very very strong team in our in our finance uh, department, and they spent weeks just trying to figure out how to do this. What what you know which p- properties will qualify, but essentially um, they um, will um, have the ability to um, all these uh, qu- qualifying properties the owners will be notified and and they have to um, you know sort of decide whether they want to opt into this policy or not um, it, it would benefit for them and it would benefit for their for their tenants and then there be in order to 
uh, qualify, they have to just show proof that they've notified their tenants. So if there's a small business, uh, you know, corner store or something on in that building, they just have to make sure that they are notifying them. And, and it's a very tight time frame. It's by the end of this month. So we're doing a lot of communication around this. So, so people are aware of this opportunity for those 1,400 properties. So what does, when you've singled out those, those properties then that would be eligible for this, if, if somebody is the owner or the business owner in that property, Property, what do they need to do? Um, well, certainly they they will be notified, and so uh, they're to be. One of the things is that we can't force the property owner necessarily to reduce the cost of uh, of the taxes or whatever they pass along, but they are required to let. And I think the vast majority, um, I'd be surprised if any decided that they were going to continue charging that rate, given that they're taking a significant reduction in the overall taxes that they need to pay. So it's really meant for the end of sort of the end property user, so the, the small business or the you know the person who's running a, you know, uh, running an office in, in that building is to make sure that those, uh, those cost reductions are passed along to them. And so how much do businesses then stand to save? Because we certainly have talked in the past and we've heard from businesses who have said that it's not a fair system. They feel that they've been overtaxed when it comes to property taxes. How much do they stand to save under this program? Um, it, it, so the modeling that the city staff showed us that it could be um, thousands of dollars per year. Um, so it's it's not a small amount of money. And uh, if they do it, uh, opt in. And there, you know, there are probably about fourteen thousand uh, commercial properties. So this is a this is obviously about ten percent of those um, uh, under the actual um, uh, regulations that were uh, the Bill Twenty Eight that was brought forward by the province. Only about thirty two hundred would have fit under those. But quite a few of those properties are uh, places like big box stores and and um, that really didn't fit that that sort of small in, independent business. That And so staff brought forward a, a smaller subset of, uh, of just under 1,400 properties that would fit. And um, and again, I think it, what, what, what it means is that with uh, the lower costs, it just makes the business's ability to, to thrive and, and obviously perhaps even pass those ca- uh, cost savings along to consumers. And it's a pilot project then. Does it have a specific time frame or a time period where it's going to be in place? Yeah, so it would be for the tax year, uh, the fiscal tax year of 2023. So that would go into the uh, first quarter of next year. And like with any pilot, there's going to be a lot of work uh, done. So one of the things that we asked a lot of questions of staff on uh, during council meeting yesterday is just to make sure that we are able to hear from the community, hear from the the affected properties, and find out if this pilot is working. I mean, once you bring in a tax reduction, people certainly don't want you to take that away. We want to make sure that it, it is um, that it is successful. Um, you asked earlier about, um, you know, uh, how how we do this. I mean, it's it's a case of kind of averaging across. So uh, the the properties themselves that do get this reduction, the the actual um, uh, cost of, of doing that is is borne by uh, other properties. So it will mean um, a slightly higher for some uh, for some properties, but it's a relatively small number just because we're dealing with that that sort of uh, smaller 1,400 property number. 
Right. And uh, you, you mentioned as well, though, that now is the time getting the message out, making sure the businesses and owners know about this. But it's a pretty short timeline, given that it's already March 9th and these applications have to be in by the end of the month. How confident are you that this is going to get to everybody who needs to hear it? Um, well, uh, the the uh, our finance department does send out a letter of notification to to all of these businesses. So there is always a possibility that people won't open their mail, but they will be getting that notification. Um, the the bill itself was only passed at the end of November, so you can imagine just how much uh, work has gone into to try and figure out uh, what is a pretty complex uh, policy over the last you know few months and bring it to to, to council uh, for us to review and. Uh, debate and then eventually get passed yesterday. So um, uh, we're, I think, very pleased that we're moving fast. And the thing that we heard loud and clear from our uh, business associations is, let's get this going. Um, We've been waiting long enough for this to happen. So I'm I'm, I'm pleased that we're doing that. And um, again, it's a pilot. um, So pilots always have some adjustments after you've taken it, put it into practice. But I think uh, I'm, I'm pleased that we're able to get at this so quickly. Are you concerned at all with the optics of the property tax increase that council approved, the 10.7%? So on the one hand, it's a double-digit increase on property taxes, and now on the other hand, a way to reduce taxes? I'm not sure. I think the optics are that we need to support our small small and independent businesses. I mean, I said in my remarks in the chamber yesterday that they, they truly represent the lifeblood of our communities. They are incredibly important to uh, to the neighborhoods where these businesses exist. It's it's they have to work hard every day to to make payroll, to make sure that their staff are taken care of, and then making sure that they're able to 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 sustain their businesses and you know and pay their own bills. Um, so I think we need to look at you know, every which way that we can possibly uh, support th- that that sector and uh, um, again I'm, I'm pleased that we move quickly and and it is a, a challenging year for property taxes but this is something that you know we've been pretty clear in all of our messaging um, this is not where this is not a sign of things to come we have got a lot of work ahead of us uh, to try and find those efficiencies and make sure that we are uh, spending the taxpayers money wisely. All right, Mike Klassen, we'll leave it there. Thanks so much for joining us. You bet. Thanks, Jill. Bye-bye. We were just talking with Mike Klassen, a Vancouver City Councillor, about a new pilot project. It is aiming to lower the property tax burden for about 1,360 properties in the city of Vancouver. It's a pilot project that could take thousands of dollars off that bill. They do have to apply, though, by the end of this month. Well, joining us now to talk a bit more about this is Jairo Yunus, who's an economist for Western Canada with the Canadian Federation of Independent Business. Jairo, thanks so much for being with us. Hi, Jill. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm curious your thoughts on this, and I know you've looked at these numbers and have talked about this. Is this a good way of trying to relieve that tax burden? Do you think this is a good plan? Well, it's not the full property tax relief that small businesses were looking for, Jill, especially after that almost 11% hike in property taxes. But it's definitely some things. It's definitely some relief, and we really appreciate that. When you look at the types of businesses, and I know there's a list of exemptions, uh, things like big box stores, parking lots, storage facilities, and as the councillor was saying, it's so that it really does focus on uh, smaller, independently owned businesses. Do you think, is that, does it kind of, does it hit the mark there as far as the businesses that most need this tax relief? 
Well, Jill, it's important to note that it is a pilot program, and we understand that the quick rollout of this program may not be smooth, and some businesses will be left out. As you mentioned earlier, we need to go to only 1,300 businesses, which means that many, many struggling small businesses that are going to pay almost 11% more in property taxes this year will not get the relief they need. So definitely more work needs to be done uh, to enhance the program moving forward. And we appreciate that the city is committed to ensure uh, proper consultations with the business community in general. We believe this is very important to ensure that the city will receive some valuable insights and some good feedback on what is working, what's not, and how to improve the program moving forward. And uh, as the councillor was saying as well, this is uh, part in the, uh, connected to Bill 28, which was the municipal affairs statute, so the provincial uh, bill. And uh, this only does obviously cover the city portion of the taxes, and we still have the assessments made through BC Assessment. But would you like to see other civic councils do something similar? Definitely. No, we really appreciate that, that the city of Vancouver is really taking the lead on this especially given the, the time constraints and the lack of clear and complete data from BC assessment. And as you mentioned, this was definitely one of our initial concerns with the pilot program, uh, that it might result in some businesses not getting the relief they need because we, un- we know that the province provided municipalities with this legal tool in the form of Bill 28 to provide tax relief to businesses, but really failed to offer adequate administrative support and resources to successfully implement this policy. We've met with several other municipalities, and it's the same thing. They really want to provide property tax relief, but they can't because they don't have the resources, they don't have the operational capacity to do so. They're also concerned about uh, BC assessment data limitations. So there's definitely room there for the province to kind of step in and finesse this important policy moving forward. And when we look at that as well, and you mentioned, and I, I asked my class in this as well, the 10.7%, the property tax increase in the city of Vancouver, and whether or not the optics are a bit off that uh, with the, that increase is coming, then there will be some tax relief for some businesses. Uh, is there a better way, do you think, to, to, to ease the tax burden, or, or is this kind of the, the best they can do at this point? Well, small businesses are really looking for full property tax relief. Uh, So what does that mean? That means that they're looking to the province, one, to provide some school tax relief like they did during the pandemic, and which we saw nothing in the latest budget, but to council, and as you mentioned, um, they're increasing property tax rates by almost 11% this year. So we're really asking them, and we we mentioned this during budget discussions, um, we're asking Council for real clarity around the medium-term trajectory of property taxes. Annual increases of this magnitude should be off the table, and that should be really clearly communicated to small businesses so they can plan their investment decisions for the next few years. Uh, And we're also asking for a tax shift, given that the current property tax distribution in Vancouver continues to remain uh, unbalanced. Uh, Just uh, just once that businesses account for only. 19% 19% of total property assessment value, but pay around 40% of all property taxes. So there's definitely room for both the province and the city to provide some clear and important tax relief, property tax relief for small businesses. All right. So we'll, we'll see how many do apply and how the program works out. Hiro, thank you so much for joining us for talking more about this today. Appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me, Jill. Have a good one. 
Well, the Nelson Public Library says it has made the decision to cancel its upcoming drag storytime event after staff and the storytellers were both threatened and intimidated. Those threats and intimidations coming in online. This was an event that was supposed to go ahead this coming Saturday, but again, has been cancelled because of these threats. Well, we wanted to find out more about this. So joining me now is Berkeley Volks, one of two people who were set to perform at this show on Saturday. Berkeley, thank you so much for being with us. My pleasure. Thank you for making this uh, something that we can all talk about. Well, I'm I'm curious, and we'll get more to to the reasons that that we were told by the library that this was cancelled. But before we get to that, can you explain to us or describe what a, a drag story time looks like for for people who maybe haven't been following along with this or, or aren't aware of what an event like this is? Uh, all it really is is people dressing up as a persona, no different than Mickey Mouse at Disneyland and reading stories about love and inclusivity and and just joy and happiness. It's about literacy. It's about coming together as a community. And um, it's just meant to be something joyful that we can all be a part of together. Is it something, is it relatively new or is it just, not just, but or is it that we've been hearing more about drag story time in the news because we have been seeing uh, in some cases these protests and today the the announcement that this particular one has been cancelled? Drag story times have been happening for some years now. Uh, I was a part of one in Kelowna before covid and uh, it, it, it's really not new, but yes, because of a lot of the right-wing politics that we've been hearing about and seeing uh, south of the border and things that have now crept up and over to our side, it's become a massive, massive issue. I think it also has to do a lot with COVID and the fact that people have been sitting behind their computers trying to keep track of the world, but there's also a lot of negatives out there that is kind of taken a really big, loud uh, chunk out of the good. And do you think maybe, is, is there some confusion or uh, do people have the wrong idea about what this is in that maybe people are thinking, or, or some, I would say, maybe those who are protesting or, or those who, who don't like the idea, is it that there's an idea out there that it's some kind of a sexual performance or it's something that's not suitable for children? Yeah, I mean, I, I've spoken with a lot of people recently, and yeah, uh, that has been a concern, and I, I just really want to make sure that people know that in no way, shape, or form would the Nelson Public Library have anything to do with anything sexualized. Myself, personally, uh, I, I I would never in a million years think, think to do that. I've got two young boys of my own. I've got a, a, a few nieces in the neighborhood and the region as well, and in no way, shape, or form is that anything that I, I would promote or be a part of. It was simply something general, G-rated, let's say, uh, for everybody. It's not meant to be anything more than that, and anybody that has any questions about it should really just show up and take a look for themselves rather than falling in line with the, the 1% of the, the people out there that have a loud voice, but they're not coming from a, a realistic perspective unless you've taken the time to see what it's all about. You come down and take a look, and I guarantee you, you would not be disappointed. Uh, you would be quite surprised at, at what it actually is about instead of the few people that were in it for the many. 
I, I saw somebody post on uh, on social media. It was a, a, a tongue-in-cheek post about, I think it was one, it was a drag story time in Ontario. Uh, but she, she posted about uh, saying, oh, I'm, I'm taking my kids and, oh, isn't this awful? They're they're putting glitter on, on the kids and, oh, the kids are dancing and having a great time and there's flowers and how dare they? And, and she did it. And I think, sadly, I think some people might not have gotten the, scar- the sarcasm that was in the post, but it, Again, it was to raise awareness or at least to show people that that this is a fun, inclusive event that that kids really, really enjoy. Um, how do we get that message out, though, and make and, and make it so those who don't understand what this is all about see it for what it actually is? I, I honestly don't know that it's possible to change the minds of those people. Um, I think they've got their minds made up and there's only so much we can do. All we can do is somebody from that community and as a parent myself, all we can keep doing is, is our best to, to provide that safe space, which is what we are trying to promote. Nobody is telling anybody that you have to bring your kids, right? Nobody's saying it's absolutely necessary. There's no gun to anybody's head that you have to show up and bring your kids. I personally, of course, would want to see all of my friends and family there because it's beneficial. If you have a problem with it, by all means, stay at home. Nobody's saying that you have to fall in line with my beliefs. I would never expect that of anybody, and they shouldn't expect that of me. I think we all need to realize that opinions are fine. Uh, Facts come down to reality and truth, and unless you're willing to actually see it for yourself, you are just falling into that giant black void, that black hole that social media has in a sense, initiated. And and you mentioned as well that uh, this could pot- or this could possibly be also a bit of a, a spillover, or what we're seeing in the United States in some cases, and some uh, of what's happened there. And I know that uh, on Fox News that there have been some comments, and uh, so, some of the anchors there again bringing in that idea that this is some way to try and sexualize children, or that this is this is this is something that's inappropriate. And, and do you think? it's again is it is it from that 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 people are are getting the idea that it's not appropriate or or is it because of what we're seeing in the united states and and some of the media outlets there i do firmly believe that that's where we're at and why this is happening the trickle down effect has hit us um i i know for a fact <clears throat> that the story time held or that was supposed to be held this Saturday in Nelson was not about that. I know that the library has done their absolute best to say, we're not going to cancel it. We are postponing it. Um, in my world, as far as I'm concerned, what is happening and by canceling it, it actually created more flames on the fire. Uh, if we hadn't gone through these things, if our community wasn't already kind of in a battle down south in the border, south of the border, I don't think that we would be here. There is several drag story times that were held before pandemic. Uh, 2018, there was one at Children's Place and Cooney Place and at Family Place, which is literally meant for children and families. And it had no protesters. There was no issues. Everybody enjoyed it. It was fun. And and I I understand why we're here based on the current social climate, but it doesn't make me feel any better about it. 
What is the material like? Because and I, I ask as well because I, I, I'm just trying to, to kind of get it out there exactly what these events are. Again, for people maybe who've not heard of it before or or, or aren't aware of what it is, maybe they've only seen it talked about on Fox News. When we're talking about the story time, what types of books and what is the, what is the material that's used? Well, the, the library was providing. Uh, uh, a package of books, uh, a bunch of books that we were able to choose from. I personally had coordinated with the library and said that I had a very specific book that I was excited about reading that I read to my kids uh, almost every night. Um, and he, he loves books, and, and what better way to, to kind of create a better world around him. Uh, the book that I was really excited to read was a book called No Matter What. And unfortunately, I don't have the author's name at hand, but... It was basically a book. Uh, the characters were drawn out and illustrated as two foxes, but it was a character called Large and a character called Small. And it was basically saying, I will love you no matter what. And Small says, even if I was an alligator or a crocodile, yes, I would love you no matter what. Uh, how far away you are, even if you're far away, do you still love me? Just like the stars, I will always be there. I will love you no matter what. That's the messaging that is trying to be that we're trying to put out there. It's not anything about sex. It's not about who's right and who's wrong. It's not about creating a political statement. It's simply giving the queer families and, and community the opportunity to feel like they have a voice. I, I grew up in Nelson. I'm born and raised here. I absolutely love this town. But I was raised in an age where talking about that, it wasn't exactly on my radar. I didn't know about what being gay was. And it took me until I was 19 years old to come out before I realized that that was even an option. And until then, I struggled a lot with depression and and fear because I didn't know who I was. I didn't know it was a possibility. So I want families and children and everybody to understand that it is a possibility. We are here. It's safe. It's okay. And you will be loved no matter what. Right. And, and what a, I mean, what a great message. How do you argue with a book that, with that message that, that, that's being put out there? Uh, do you think there's, there, is there confusion in that when people think of a drag show or think of drag queens, maybe people are thinking of a, a pride parade or they're thinking of a cabaret show. They're thinking of a nightclub where uh, there, it could be sexualized and there could be a, a sexy element to it. Are, are people thinking that if, if a show like that is, is sexualized, then, then a story time must be sexualized? I, I have no doubt that that's what their mindset is, but it's no different than walking into a movie theater. There are movies that are rated general and there are movies that are rated uh, R, right? In this case, I used to perform on stage for 19-plus audiences, and that I absolutely did those things. For sure, I, I had that sexual element, but that was what, people were paying for and that was what I was promoting based on the age group that said the younger age group everything is catered to them it's it's no different than every everything else in the world we don't swear in front of children because that's not age appropriate we we watch what we do in front of children because it's age appropriate you lead by example so I don't understand why people think that for some reason all of a sudden, we're all just going to stop understanding that fact and ignore it completely and put anybody at risk. It, children, and it's corny as it sounds, children are our future, and we need to make sure 
that every single one of them, it doesn't matter who you are, what your background is, your religious, your orientation, it doesn't matter. It's just about love and education and acceptance. Uh, you mentioned that uh, you uh, grew up in Nelson, that you've spent a lot of time in Nelson. Uh, does it surprise you that this this um, story time has been postponed, given that I think Nelson does have a reputation of being uh, a lot of artists and and a pretty uh, pretty kind of open and a pretty pretty uh, open and, and uh, inclusive community. It it, it 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 shocks me beyond belief. To be perfectly honest, I when I told my wife, I contacted the library saying, "Hey, I would really love to do this. I don't know if you have." anything planned or if this is something we've done in the past or would like to do, but if it's something you would love to do, then I, I would like to volunteer my services and volunteer my time to do so. And my wife actually jokingly said, she goes, are you sure you're not going to run into some protests? I don't know if that will happen. And I thought, it's Nelson. It's, it's, the, it's this queen city of the Kootenays. We all love and accept it's this hippie draft dodger town where arts and community are the, the utmost importance. And it, I am entirely shocked. I'm disappointed in, in the area, but I still love the city and I love everybody in it. And, and we'll see what happens moving forward. All right. Well, Berkeley, I appreciate you taking the time uh, to talk with us uh, and to shine some more light on this today and uh, about the, the cancellation or postponement, as they're saying as well. So uh, hopefully we can talk to you again uh, when it gets rescheduled. But Berkeley, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much for making putting a highlight on a major issue in, in our community right now. Well, it's not all that often you hear a judge in a ruling use the words like bewildering injustice that a case was prosecuted at all. But that is part of the ruling from a Quebec court judge. And this is a case involving neighbors and one neighbor that gave the other neighbor the one fingered salute. The judge has ruled giving someone the middle finger is a God given right that belongs to all Canadians. So I saw that headline, wanted to talk about this more. Ari Goldkind is with us now, criminal defense lawyer, also a legal analyst and political commentator. Ari, thank you so much for being with us. It is delightful to be with you, and I know you and I will not be flipping each other the bird. No, no. But if we wanted to, we could, and it would be fine, according to this, this judge. What are your thoughts on this case? So, Jill, this is a really interesting case, but not for the reasons just that people are talking about, which is we can all give each other the finger in traffic, which we shouldn't do, particularly in a country becoming more violent. What stands out to me from this decision is something that almost never happens, Jill. And you follow courts for a long time, and you know that so often judges will use legalese. They'll speak in a language that nobody who doesn't speak Latin or something else can understand. And it's written basically only that in a language that other lawyers can understand. You get what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's yes. dry, it's boring, it conveys nothing. This judge, and he deserves great, great credit for it. His name is Justice Galiastasos, and I'm not going to pronounce it correctly, but for people who want to look it up. He tears into the police, he tears into the prosecution, He is really angry that this man got charged. And without taking up too much time, 
He was charged because the person he was charged with giving the bird to used the police in the criminal justice system as sort of an extortion, weaponized way. The judge saw it right from the beginning, and he said, this should never have been brought to a court. This should never have been in front of me. This is a disgusting waste of time. He wanted to throw the case literally out the window. I mean, literally like you and I taking something and throwing it out the window. And that kind of language, Jill, is really... Now, I'm not being a defense lawyer here because, you know, you've had me on and I'm down the middle and and I give the Crown every benefit of the doubt because we should have a safe society, which right now Vancouver, Toronto and Montreal are not. But there have to be consequences in our country that when people make false accusations in a time where the courtroom of public opinion has more ability to ruin a life than the actual courtroom, good for this judge for coming out against the victim in air quotes. You can see my fingers Mm -hmm. doing that. This judge was outraged. He spoke in a plain spoken way. He was speaking to the public, which last time I checked is a big part of the judicial job. And for me, that's why it's refreshing that not only did he call out giving the bird his protected speech, but he actually went at the people who had this man charged and said they're lucky to not be charged because of all the various and sundry terrible things these people did in a neighbor dispute. So to me, to end why I think the case stands out, because it's a remarkable breath of fresh air, and if only other judges followed that lead. Uh, And because it is a bizarre case, and like you said, this is something, it wasn't a one-off. This was a a long-standing feud between these two neighbors, or at least that's uh, what they said. They clearly didn't get along on uh, numerous uh, numerous times they'd not gotten along. But in the the particular... incident in question that led to this was the one neighbor saying that he got home from a walk, he he ran into this neighbor who lived on the same Quebec street, they'd had previous conflicts, and it said that this time he threatened him while he was holding a power tool in a menacing way, and that the reply was to give him two middle fingers and then continue walking, and, and that's what then led to this charge and, and, and to the courts. I mean, even that seems like a bit of a stretch, doesn't it? And that's why, Jill, now you're hitting, the, you're hitting it right on the money. The judge was extraordinarily critical of the police for even allowing this to make it into a courtroom. And I want to give you a reason why that's important. And just to your point about what the judge went on, he basically called the accusers total liars. In this day and age of anti-social media and the courtroom of public opinion, everybody tiptoes around these ideas that people make stuff up or that allegations are false. There's a big story in Toronto right now where somebody made the worst of allegations, the worst that you could be called, and it's being unpacked. There's never a punishment to the person who accuses somebody falsely. And here's why this is important. You and I are talking about this on air, and, you know, there's a bit of humor to it, Jill. You know, he gave the guy the finger, right? We're sort of smiling and wink, wink, nudge, nudge, and you and I do it, and, you know, somebody steps on our shoe or somebody cuts you off in traffic. Like, we're having a little bit of a laugh of it. But you don't have enough time before we have to go to break for me to tell you what a criminal charge can do to a man who has a family, never had trouble with the law before, has a couple of kids. People think you get 
you just get charged and you go on the people's court and Judge Wapner or Judge Judy shows up and the consequences are not that serious. And when you're found innocent, you know, everything is great. Being charged with a crime by a police force can literally change your life forever. That's why, again, I have deep admiration for this judge. And believe me, Jill, I go after certain judges that I think get things wrong. I mean, last time I checked, there's still the ability in this country to speak freely. What this judge really deserves praise because he calls out the destruction that the accuser tried to do to the man who was charged, says he's not going to stand for it. And I think it was a beautiful piece of literature, if I can use that term. Well, and and the judge even calls out the accuser because it was the accuser that also said, and clearly these neighbors don't get along, but the accuser had said he thought that the man who'd been charged had been filming him and and was keeping tabs on him and his family when the judge and the judge called out the accuser and said, actually, you're the one who's been filming this neighbor and you're the one that's been doing this to your neighbor and kind of turned the tables on him. And that's why if you accept that this judge is right, and let's for the purposes of our discussion assume he's right, because none of us were there, the judge wasn't there, this is again in line with what's going on in our society. There's a term that I hate, I think it's overused, it's called gaslighting, where you, uh, I think you know what that means, Mm -hmm. where you tell somebody that what's happening right in front of them isn't happening, you make something up out of thin air, I can give 10 examples. What this judge did, and it's not I mean, it is as rare as the dodo bird. Rather than using judicial speak, Jill, which is, you know, I prefer the evidence of one over the other, or I'm left in a reasonable doubt by the other, or, you know, there's smoke, but there may not be fire, so accordingly I cannot convict. What a breath of fresh air that this judge comes out and says that the other side is a complete liar. And judges, I can tell you, Jill, are very, very reluctant to do it, even when it's warranted. And that's why I always worry when the criminal justice system or the use of police is weaponized to go after people that you consider your opponent. We saw it for the last three years when people demonstrated in ways that you know offended other people. The criminal justice system and the use of police in handcuffs should not be used in a weaponized way. And and in this case, then, why do you think, and I know you kind of have to get inside the head of the judge, but why do you think it was this case that this judge was so much, so so out there as using regular language and saying that he says in the ruling, and you mentioned this, he says that the court is inclined to actually take this file and throw it out the window, which is the only way to adequately express my bewilderment with the fact that this man was subject to an arrest and charge. Now, not having had the pleasure of met a meeting or speaking to this judge, let me give you, if I was in issues, why I do that, use that language. Jill, how many times have you heard in Vancouver, in your province and other provinces across Canada, that there's a case that's very serious, somebody has been sexually assaulted, somebody's been home invaded, but their case gets tossed out for delay because it took too long to get their case to trial. Or a drunk driver gets a free pass because it took two years to get him to trial. This matter that you and I are speaking about, again, with some levity, took up a day or two of a judge's time. That means that a serious case, a drunk driver, a rapist, that case was put into holding. That case didn't take up the judge's time. 
The judge's time was taken up by a flip the bird use of court resources. And I think that would be deeply frustrating to a judge in Montreal, Vancouver, or Toronto. And I'm going to take you right inside baseball here, Jill. If I had a dollar for every time I'm told as a lawyer, judicial resources are scarce. We don't have enough time in court. We don't have enough judges. Well, if I had a dollar for every time I have heard that, I assure you I would be in the south of France tonight. <laughs> I, uh, I do not question that at all. Uh, Ari, just one, one final question. And like you said, we are treating this with some levity. But does it also, uh, having gone through this and seen what the judge said, does it give us some comfort that we don't live in a world where, yes, it's not pleasant, it's not a nicety, but do we really want to ever live in a world where we are are, are fearful if we flip someone the bird, we're going to end up with a criminal charge? I think it's a great question, Jill. And in fact, the judge in his decision talks about that. He says quite properly, it's uncivil, it's uncouth, it's a bit low class to flip the double bird. But you know what? We live in a world where you have seen, and we've seen this again for a number of years, where people try and equate symbols or even words to actual violence. I can assure you, Jill, as somebody who defends actual violence, the morons and dummies who equate some words or political positions you don't agree with with violence is a real problem in our society. Now, that's not to say that a real threat, Jill, or real criminal harassment isn't something worthy of police and court attention. It is, and it should be. But in a case like this, good for a court for not dressing it up into fancy terms where every time now you have an argument with somebody, you look at somebody the wrong way, you make a face. That is not for the criminal justice system. And again, to be more boring than I like to be, people don't understand the consequences, even if you're innocent and you can clear your name and you can pay somebody like me, which you shouldn't have to do if this happened. Just the laying of a charge, Jill, can ruin somebody's life. And when I find out in this case, this man is a father, a husband, wants to play with his two kids in front of his home, just arresting him will affect him for the rest of his life. I absolutely guarantee it, Jill, even though he's been made victorious. All right, Ari, thank you for this. Uh, I've kept you longer than I meant to, but thanks so much for joining us and talking more about this case. I appreciate it. Always a pleasure to speak.